Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. Gear up with your host, Captain Chris Bush, a trophy trout purist, leader and educator within the fishing community, as he talks about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you back to the Speckled Truth podcast. Uh, honestly, as we continue to build Speckled Truth as a brand and a movement of conservation for trophy trout, we're always reminded that it starts with you, the follower. That's why my guest for today for episode five is so special. Captain Keith Morrison, back in 2013, it's hard to believe in 2013, he was one of our very first followers. And now he, along with Kyle and Ed, have kind of brought and transcended Speckled Truth to kind of what it, you know, as it is today. And so I want to welcome Keith, brother. Welcome to the show, my man. Hey, thanks, Chris, man. I am really privileged to be here with you tonight. And uh, I just love being a part of this group with you, Kyle and Ed. It's been a, it's been an awesome thing. I know, man. We got a podcast, bro. This is crazy. Yeah, it really right? is. <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's like pretty surreal, man. So, um, you know, did you ever think, you know, you'd ever become, I guess, to some extent, part of Speckled Truth, especially as one of the OG followers on Speckled Truth? No, I really don't think it ever occurred to me. I, I just followed the brand because I thought what you were putting out was really cool and really relative to, uh, what was going on with me. And, uh, when you asked me to to you know become a part of it i was just totally on board and and totally you know felt stoked to be a part of it yeah man so it it's been a long time coming i think what the first time well we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit but you know uh really the first thing that we did i think together was obviously the biloxi boat show in terms of all of us is bringing and transcending speckled uh speckled truth and i talked to kj about it in his podcast but uh, before we get even into that, you know, I want to ask you, and that way folks kind of know who you are. So, uh, Keith, tell tell everyone a little bit about yourself, bud. Okay. Well, I am from originally from Dothan, Alabama. Uh, I kind of grew up fishing for bass in ponds and, and rivers and all. Uh, when I was 16, I got a kayak from my uncle, and that really took things to the next level for me. Um I was, you know, just on the water every chance that I got. Then in 2011, when I turned, right about when I turned 21, I moved to Pensacola and I was going to school and uh, I was doing that part-time and I was fishing part-time. I I tell a lot of my close friends that I was on a four-year plan for a two-year degree and that's thanks to fishing. (laughs) Um, So... I just, uh, I took to the saltwater, man. As soon as I got down on the coast, it just overwhelmed me. Uh, I was in the kayak every chance that I could get. I was getting on boats with everybody that would invite me and take me. And uh, just fishing every every moment that I got, um, which ultimately led to me getting my captain's license. I did some kayak chartering for, for a year or so. I did some guiding for a couple of years. And then... Uh, now I live in north central Florida, uh, just outside of Gainesville, and I'm 
I'm the furthest I've ever been from saltwater since 2011, and it's it's definitely a big change from Pensacola. Well, I hear you, man. I mean, I can empathize, especially with the relationship to the coast. You fish with me here in Texas, and so uh, being in San Antonio, three hours away, it's definitely uh, it will challenge you. <laughs> Uh, emotionally to, you know, go every chance you can. And especially when I used to go a lot more than what I do, but, uh, you know, we love it enough. And so making those trips to the coast is obviously important. And that's one of the things that I wanted to bring up, which I think is really different than a lot of the four other guests that we've had, uh, Mike, Jay, my dad, and obviously KJ is, and myself, we've all kind of grown up in and around salt water. And so as a dude from you know, inland Alabama now moving to the coast and learning how to fish and target uh, inshore species. That's a, that's something that I can't empathize with and, and relate to. So uh, good on you, man. And and another thing you touch on is, is getting your first kayak. That's going to, that's really going to dominate a lot of the conversation today, which is, you know, fishing out of a kayak and targeting big fish out of a kayak. So, um, so I appreciate you sharing that with me, but I did have one important question. Uh, uh, Roll Tide or War Eagle? War Eagle, baby. Even after that loss this weekend against Ah. you guys. (laughs) I hear you, man. You were in a no-win situation there, especially uh, given, you know, my background as an LSU grad. But no, dude, it's uh, an awesome atmosphere down there. I, I actually didn't even watch the game. I was fishing. I get too nervous, man, to watch the games, especially the one in two weeks against Bama. So anyway. Right, right. Yeah, I had to listen on the radio and it wasn't the same, but it worked out. <laughs> I got you, bud. I got you. So I, I had a question, man. So let's get back to it. Like what made you really start truly following Speckle Truth? Well, I just happened to stumble across your Facebook page one day. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I was on my way in from from trout fishing and I was just paddling back to my truck, scrolling through my feed, just kind of seeing what was around. And I saw this page that said Speckled Truth. And I'm like, that is the most clever name for any kind of blog or group I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it man. just, it was, it was too cool. It, and I instantly saw that and I thought, what is this guy doing? What is he about? Let me find out. Yeah. And that's when I started going through your posts, your, your articles, uh, the pictures that you were throwing up on Facebook what, and everything. Was it was the, just, uh, did you actually look on like Blogspot or was it just Facebook? So it was Facebook that I found you on. You, okay. I think we're sharing other articles at other uh, angles, yeah. probably some of Mike's articles and, um, and numerous other articles. I don't recall specifically if you had the Blogspot up at that point. No, I, I did. It, it's, probably really hard to find because it was like www.google.blogspot.speckletruth, whatever it was, right? So in, from a search engine perspective, it was obviously pretty pretty far down there and it was free, you know, and, and it was a creative <laughs> outlet, you know, and so it was just fun, man, just writing. And it's funny because it, it not that it's anything now, you know, but I'm saying it's just, it's funny how now that went from being just a, a piddly old blog on blog spot to now, dude, I can't believe it. Like it's, we're, we're like a podcast brand, like talking about some things and it's just fun. I guess it's just fun. The biggest thing, but 
Do you remember? Um, I I remember a few things about our first kind of encounterish, you know, message back and forth. You know, what were some yeah. things that maybe you remember about our early relationship in in Speckle Truth? So I totally remember a uh, a specific conversation that we had. Um, I was on a on a school of fish. They'd been hanging in the same area for mm. a couple of months, and I. And I recall seeing them the year before and I would be able to catch one every, you know, every few trips and they were solid fish. Um, yeah. And I just, I thought, well, this guy's got all this information. He's, you know, he's like a, a trout dictionary. Let me reach out and see what he says. So I, I started messaging you and said, Hey man, you know, I'm seeing these big giant fish. They're, they're in potholes. They're in this, in this grass bed, but they won't eat. They're so skittish. If I even if I throw a small shrimp lower to them, they're out of there. You know, it doesn't matter. 10, 15 pound fluoro, they're they're spooking. Do you have any suggestions? And uh, yeah. yeah, you told me downsize, and you talked about the the uh, what mirror minnows and the MR twelves and all sorts of smaller presentation baits. Yeah, dude, and that's the funny thing about it is I remember that that conversation actually really vividly. Uh, particularly talking about downsizing. And, and I remember, you know, we were really tinkering, I think, with obviously bait size and profile, but not only that, actual like color itself. And so I think one of the last kind of dat last ditch efforts that I think you were trying to make was really just trying to get as small as possible. And so one of those was going to like a no kidding clear bait with just that kind of flash insert, I think on either a mirror minnow or a a Miradine, like super mini Miradine or whatever it's called. But did that ever work? Yeah. Did it ever work? <laughs> I don't even know. Really, That's funny. Really, the downsizing never worked. What I just figured is that <laughs> yeah, it was this this area, they were just so sensitive and they were just so in tune to the surroundings. Uh, I think yeah. just the boat traffic around uh, just always had them, uh, you know, kind of on 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 standby i suppose and even in my kayak if i was drifting being as quiet as i could if i if i brought that lure anywhere close it doesn't matter uh i even tried with a fly and i i spooked a lot of those big fish with the fly rod and um you know i'm not an expert you know at fly casting i'm not the most accurate but out of when you've got that number of fish in a flat that the and you're able to fish it really exactly how I could set up exactly how I wanted to and approach them. Um, those flies even would spook them and I'd be down to like, hmm. you know, an eight or 10 pound tippet with a small clouser or, a, or an EP bait minnow, uh, yeah. something like that. That just a really slow lure or fly that I could just pull through there. And they just, they were gone and they would just you- slowly pull, pull out and, and just not pay me any mind. Were you paying any attention to like Sullener at that at that point? Not as close of attention as I do now. Um, I was more tracking the the tides, and I guess in a sense I was because I was tracking the peak feed times. But at that time, I didn't yeah. really understand how those peak feed times correlated to this Sullener. So I mean, yes, I was, but I didn't fully understand what I was doing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's something, I mean, as you progress and as you, uh, 
develop as an angler. That's, I look back on some of those different uh, experiences that I've had, or maybe situations that I've had where I've had fish that just truly wouldn't eat. And you're like, ah, I've thrown everything at the book. They're just, they're a lost cause as opposed to like now I go, okay, uh, now I, I need to just really target them when all these kind of odds are in my favor and understanding Sullener is a pretty large portion of that, that I believe, I personally believe, uh, I would approach things probably a little bit differently. So I'd lean off those fish maybe a little bit more now and, and go back on those higher yep. periods of Sullener activity or during a major or something like that. But that's me now yeah. versus the angler then. And, and it's interesting as you continue to grow and develop, that's something we do every day, every trip, right? It really is. And understanding how these soliners and, and uh, how that influences these trout, looking back at it now, I'm not surprised. I mean, I was able to catch lots of fish, lots of really big fish in that specific area, but it would always be during uh, first light or in the evening. Um, but then when I would want to fish that middle of the day bite, like when I, would, when I was yeah. able to sight fish them, it was the ratio was tremendously lower and that might've just been because of that just was out of their feed times. And yeah, no, I'm with you, man. So, uh, you know, shifting gears a little bit, brother. Uh, so you get back to kind of what we were talking a little bit about. So you being one of the first followers, man, the f- one of the first like true 100 followers here at Speckle Truth. I mean, what, what was something that drew you to, I guess, Speckle Truth other than, to some extent, the name, which is hilarious. You say that because <laughs> I literally thought about that, like friggin' taking a shower and I came out and I was like, Hey man, it was like, what are you, I'm thinking about writing a blog and naming it speckled truth. What are your thoughts? She's like, actually, that's pretty cool. And so that's yeah. in terms of my own creativity, that's probably I've, I've peaked, uh, with regards to that. But <laughs> no, man. I mean, was there, was there something else that kind of made you want to get involved? I think just, being in a network of like-minded anglers um, and other guys that were passionate about targeting big trout. Um, Really about the time that I discovered you was when I would consider for myself, probably the, uh, the peak of my like learning and progressions for trout fishing. Uh, At that point I was able to fish more than I, than I ever had and more than I'd be able to for the past two or three years. Um, I was, you know, just going to school and fishing and I had a little part-time job. So, um, but yeah, my main focus was, was just to link up with other anglers and, and talk about, you know, you know, who's catching what I was just enthralled with seeing any pictures that of other guys catching big trout. Um, plus you had a, a, you know, you had the Texas guys on lockdown, so those fish over there were just blowing my mind. I mean, it was, it's it crazy, was just crazy man. to me. Yeah. I just, yeah. I couldn't, couldn't hardly, you know, understand the concept of guys catching 31, 33, you know, plus inch trout. It was just like blew my mind. So yeah. surrounding myself with those kind of guys and, and other, you know, other anglers was really what, what brought me in. Okay. Yeah. And, and dude, that's the thing that I can't impress enough on our community and folks that do follow us is that we are truly like a no kidding community. And so people like, oh, I'll follow the page or whatever. If you contribute to the page or comment or like or post or you're really adding to the, I think, experience that we that I 
I personally have been trying to create it. And I know we've been trying to create it, which is a community of like-minded guys, right? We are a super niche of trout fishermen. And we know that's a super niche within the angling industry. And we're, we're kind of crazies to some extent, if you think about it, because we overanalyze things, you know, really it's almost like these, you know, big bass guys on the California Delta on giant swim baits, you know I mean? There's really no expense we won't go through. There's no angling or, or, or no environmental condition that we won't fish. And that's us, right? That's what makes us speckled tree. That is absolutely in, in true. People, in a community, what we are, because as we continue to develop and create content, discuss it openly and, and be more uh, open about it, everybody contributes because they've fished a certain area, Florida Panhandle in your case, in maybe certain situations that is different from what it here is here in Texas and what it is for some folks up in North Carolina. Right. And so if you use those angling experiences, that's when I think you can truly start to develop your, your own uh, experiences and, and draw from other people's experiences, regardless of estuary. So that's cool, man. That, that's a really good deal. Do you remember like actually first, like meeting me like, or, or like the first time we actually looked eye to eye. I do. Yes. Um, because we had, when was that? I think it's the same one. At least I hope so. Yeah. I think (laughs) you were doing a TDY or something to Hurlburt. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. And, uh, and my goal was to put you on a panhandle gator. So I got my kayak and I, and I borrowed one from a buddy and yep. got a couple rods and I picked you up and I took you, took you to my, one of my very favorite spots. Um, and we just couldn't get out of the, the dang redfish. It was awesome, man. I think we, so I pitched to one really good fish, one really good trout. Um, and I remember a, I, like I a little bit of rat red coming out of freaking nowhere, <laughs> dude, smoking this bait, but that was awesome, man. It, it was cool because I was, I was going TDY. I was living in Florida at the time and I had a TDY at Hurlburt Field. And so I had to fly in there and from Hurlburt Field, God, I can't say it today. Uh, we were then flying up to the Oregon uh, Air National Guard up there in Portland. And so I couldn't carry any rods and reels. I couldn't really bring a whole lot of gear because we we're doing like almost like a two week TDY. And I remember saying, Hey brother, I'm going to be in a Florida panhandle. You want to link up? And you're like, yeah, dude, let's go do some kayak fishing. And you, you met me at the airport, <laughs> you picked me up. And before I had to was actually it? report, we freaking took the kayaks, dude, went and drifted a couple flats and, and caught a, you know, some redfish. I think you caught a few trout. I think I caught a couple small ones at the end of those docks, but, uh, it was fun, man. And it was cool because although it had probably been like a year, maybe year and a half, almost probably two of us actually talking back and forth, you know, via text or messages and stuff like that. Like then finally getting to meet you is like, Oh my God, dude, you do exist. And so it's, it's pretty cool, man. How, how small our community is, how, uh, the, the relationships we establish are are pretty longstanding, man. So I appreciate you picking me up, man, from the airport that day. Yeah, that was my pleasure. It was, it was a fun trip. I, I don't remember picking you up at Pensacola Airport, but I remember Where was dropping that? you off at Hurlburt. Where was yeah, it? You, yeah, you picked me up in Pensacola. It, it, and then you it had was, to, Yeah, no, I... Right? Or, uh, yeah, until you mentioned it, I, I 
for some reason was thinking that I picked you up at Hurlburt and dropped you off, but you're right. No. When you mentioned that, it came back to me. I probably yeah, already we had went the kayak trailer at- loaded up. Hey, we went and stopped at Whataburger, man, on the way from the oh, spot yeah. to Herberfield. <laughs> it just right. absolutely mowed, mowed us. A, I think I got a double or you, I don't know, whatever. Whataburger is delicious. Anyway, it is. Uh, that's awesome, bro. Dude, that was a great trip, man. And and thanks for reminiscing with me for a little bit, man, because that's important, dude, because that's, uh, that's us, man. And, and you've been a part of our growth and the growth of Speckled Truth. This is yours now, man, as much as it is mine. And so- Let's keep it going, brother. But before we get into the actual like fishing, because I want to shift gears a little bit this uh, with this podcast, I want to talk some like actual fishing ish type stuff, like no kidding on the water, what your preferences are, what are you things that you see? Because an added dynamic that we haven't had previously is you fish predominantly out of a kayak. So um, tell us a little bit about your setup. So I fish out of a, uh, I, I'm really fond of all the pedal kayaks. Um, it doesn't really particularly matter what brand they are. They all work great. They all have their pros and cons. Um, but my particular kayak is a native Slayer Propel. And uh, I've been fishing out of those for about six or seven years now. Um, but generally, I like to keep it pretty minimal. Um, I'll take, you know, two rods with me. Um, I will take every single lure you can possibly imagine, but uh, gear wise, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's going to be, um, a net, a pair of fish grips, two rods and a stakeout pole, and then the kitchen sink full of tackle. Okay. Um, so you I don't more try to overload it with gear, uh, yeah, gear yeah. like actual gear. Yeah, Cause I've seen like, I, I'm not a kayak guy, but like I've seen like, a couple crates on there, some GoPro stands, like three nets, a friggin', you know, and, and do look, I'm not a kayak guy and I don't, I don't pretend to be or any, and I'm not, I'm not knocking or anything like that, but there I'm a minimalist too, man. When it comes to wade fishing, it's funny. A lot of people have, you know, you see those little toe behind wade boats now, dude, I'm like, a, I bring a wade box, a boga grip and that's it. And well, I, I have my, my spare rod and my belt. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember, I remember that's exact, the exact setup too, from when I was with you in Texas, it was pretty simple. Um, now I didn't start off this way when I yeah, first got you, into kayak. Would you think that man, I, your experience here in Texas? Oh my gosh. It was, it was incredible. I mean, we grinded for, for some big trout. We caught some good ones. It was a, an absolute blast. That's exactly what I was looking for out of a, a Texas, my first Texas trip. Yeah. Anyway, go, go back to what you're saying. I'm sorry, bud. So, oh yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't initially start out being a minimalist in my kayak. Actually, um, before I even was into trout fishing, I I did a lot of offshore kayak fishing and I would take six rods. I had the crate. I had a, you know, a gaff fish finder. I even uh, built a PVC rack for extra rods and so I could troll certain directions. And then as I began learning the inshore fishery around Pensacola, I still kind of had that same setup that I was used to for the kayak wise, you know, gear wise and rods wise, but I was just using different tackle. Well, over time I realized I'm not using, you know, six rods when I go trout fishing, I'm not using, Mm -hmm. you know, this 
all the 20 different tackle trays that'll fit into my crate back here. I don't need to, the, the rod holders to troll out six different directions. So over time, I just gradually, you know, you went less and less gear. Um, really, um, mostly for the sake of weight. Um, I am kind of like a commando launcher. If, if it's not illegal, I'll launch my kayak anywhere. Uh, doesn't matter how difficult I've, I mean, I've drugged my kayak, you know, a half mile through woods before just to get to a certain stretch of water. <laughs> no. And I remember going with you that one trip that we made was, yeah, it was a little bit of a hike, man. And so it was fun. Uh, it's yeah, an experience. Yeah. It's an adventure. It is. Um, so that was part of it, the weight thing. And then just minimizing my gear, um, Although I, I totally admit that I still take every possible lure that I that I could ever think of, I truly will only throw maybe three or four out of the hundreds of lures that are in my box. It, it gives me a little comfort knowing that I have options. Uh, topwater, a suspending, suspending, yeah, so a topwater, suspending twitch bait, and a jerk shad. Um, like generally, a, a soft plastic jerk shad or a lip jerk bait? Yeah. Jerk chat. Now, I also really like jerk baits. Um, so if, if I were to expand to four lures, it's then that's all you'll truly ever see me throw is uh, top water is almost like a spook juniors or top dogs. Um, my suspending twitch baits are usually mirror lures or rip and slash. Um, depending on the situation, I, I both of them I, I love dearly. Um, my shadow wrap shad jerk baits are great. And then just any kind of jerk shad, the soft plastics, I'm not too picky on if it's just a natural color mm -hmm. and I can, and I can throw it weedless or put it on a jig head one or the other. I'm happy with it. Yeah. So do you prefer like screw in like, uh, like the coal spring keepers on the front end going through the nose type of, or like a Texas Texpos where you would actually come through the actual plastic itself or do you have any sort of preference? So, uh, so because of the, the soft plastics that I, I usually use, I can't really get away with the screw-ins. You can't get um, away from them or you can't? I, I can't, I cannot use them really? with, uh, so for the longest time I, and I still really like a Z-Man soft, soft plastics, but I always struggled to get the, the twist in, um, the, like the owner twist locks into the nose. The just, it just doesn't yeah. dig in very well. Um, and no, it's I'm also a big horrible. fan. It's a horrible experience using a screw lock on a friggin' Z-Man. <laughs> yeah, now they did, they did, and they may still make it have a um, a push lock where you just, it's like a, a piece of wire with like plastic rings that you could just push directly into it. And that worked fairly well on the Z-Mans, but the screw in with the, the light wire spring, this wouldn't work. And kind of the same deal with the other soft soft plastics that I like the, uh, unfair lure soft plastics. Um, I've been throwing those for the past probably two years okay. now since they came out and they're a real similar buoyant type of plastic. That's, that's kind of gives you the same issue. So to answer that question, yeah, I prefer the, the, where you go through the nose. I, I just call them like the bass style hooks. Cause that's what I threw, you know, plastic okay. worms on growing up. Yeah, that makes sense too, man. So, you know, so, I know you as a person who's caught a lot of big trout out of a kayak. I don't know our followers do. So what is your actual biggest trout that you've ever caught? 
So my biggest trout actually did not come out of the kayak, but it came in one of the same spots that I kayak fish a lot of. Interesting. It was a 30 incher, exact 30 inches on the money. So what's the biggest you've caught out of a kayak? Uh, I think like 29 and a quarter, uh, give or take, yeah, right around there. Or it might have been right at 29. Okay. So describe a little bit about that day. It, was that one of your, well, first off, before you describe that, was that one of like the first big fish that you actually caught? Or do you remember like that first big fish that you caught um, that oh. kind of propelled you into wanting to target just big trophy trout? Oh man, that is a great question. And uh, so the, that one that was about 29, that's a different fish. That's not the first big one that I got. Um, the first big one that I caught was actually three behemoths within an hour and a half on the same night out of my kayak. So you I say night, a, like actually at night? Yeah. So there, I, I love this story and I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the quick edited version, but I do want to give a little background to it. Um, at the time I was fishing a, an online tournament with a team called kayak wars where uh -huh. you accrued points yep. for your catch. So my goal was to catch 20 inch trout. So I was consistently targeting on dock lights trout that were 20 inches so I could accrue points for my team. Well, the few days prior to this epic night, which I'm getting to, I had caught at the time my personal best, which was like a 23 and a half. Then the very next night I caught a 24 and I'm thinking, man, I'm doing something. I'm, I'm on some great fish. So jump right. up to April 24th, 2013 at about 11 o'clock at night. I'm on this, yeah. on this dock light in my kayak, throwing a white Z-Man paddler Z on a red quarter ounce jig head. And I'll just fling it right up underneath the, this dock light that's hanging over, give it one little pop off the bottom and I just yeah. get slammed. And I am fighting this fish and it's pulling me into the light and I'm kind of pedaling away, trying to, you know, keep it out from under the dock. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is a redfish, you know, it's not a trout, but it's worth some points for the tournament. So, you know, let me get it in. And it comes up on the surface and kind of rolls and, and it confirms, oh yeah, it's a redfish. And it's, it's kind of dark and, and I'm like, oh man, you know, I, let me turn on my headlamp. So I turn on my headlamp and I finally get this, this fish up to the side of my kayak and I freak when I see that yellow mouth and the jig yeah. in it, it just came up like, head chip right beside yeah. me. And the, the lighting and the color of the water had just given it a, like an orange tint when I first saw it. But when it came up and, and that head shake on the surface, I'd never seen a trout like it by, you know, hands down shattered, shattered everything that I knew about trout fishing. So hmm. I scooped it up into my net and I, and I put it on my fish board real quick got my pictures with it and I'm freaking out, dude. I'm, I just cannot believe it. I mean, uh, so I get my pictures yeah. and I, and I release it and I'm like, just so pumped, dude. I'm so excited before I even, before I even make another cast, I like texted the picture to like three of my, three or four of my buddies, like, Holy crap, you won't believe this kind of deal. And, and I was just, I was through the freaking roof, man. I was on cloud nine. Um, so I just thought, dude, there's no way that this night's going to get any better. I just caught by, you know, a large margin, the biggest trout that I've ever seen. 
it was 27 and a quarter inches long and I was mind blown and it was fat. Yeah. It was a heavy fish. So, um, I'm kind so of thinking, six, all right, maybe a seven, huh? Yeah. I, I think it was definitely, definitely mid sixes, no doubt. Um, okay. and I've still got yeah. the picture of it, but you know, I even remember seeing, uh, running across the bay, a, uh, a boat. I saw the, uh, like the nav lights on a boat and I'm like, turn on my cell phone flashlight and I'm waving it desperately. They're like 200 yards away, cutting through the bay. And I'm thinking, Oh man, please see my light. Like I desperately want a picture, but they didn't. And so my concern at that point was just, sorry, I want to, I want to get this fish back in the water. Right. And so, uh, yeah, it was just an absolute giant and then moved on, just continued fishing and it's kind of slowing down a little bit, but I thought I I'm off work the next day. I don't have school in the morning. You know, I'm just going to give it another 30 minutes, try this spot over here. It's a little further than I planned on going, but I'm going to go for it. Um, mind you, I'm, I'm telling myself the entire time I'm crazy because this night was a neap tide. I don't know mm-hmm. why so nothing I'm not going on. fishing on it. Dude, no water movement just and, and not a whole lot of bait activity off the bat. Um, not at, at this point, not much bait activity. So... Uh, I, I continue along. I get to this this next stretch of docks and uh, and a couple of lights, and I'm fishing around there, and fishing around these lights, and I just hear mullet just getting exploded on, just completely in the dark, you know, fifty plus yards away from these dock lights, uh, and I'm not catching fish on the lights, and I'm thinking, what is going on? So I just get out into the dark and I'm throwing that same white Z-Man Paddler Z uh, five inch on a, on a quarter ounce. And I'm just randomly throwing it like what's chasing these mullet. What's, what's going on. Boom. Another big fish. Get this one into the net. And it's even bigger than the first one. You know, I'm That's an awesome hour later. Video. It's an hour later. Yeah. I've got the biggest trout that I can ever dream of. And then I do it again. That one was 28 and a quarter. And well into seven pounds. I mean, oh my god, that's that's a huge upgrade. Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous, man. I just couldn't believe what was going on. Uh, I'm I'm just freaking out. I'm thinking, holy crap! So here I am, like I am gonna fish so hard for the next like two hours. Um, Yeah. And then about another about another thirty minutes later, I think I was um, I'd been kind of casting in this one area for you know 30 minutes didn't get any hits so i moved over you know 30 40 yards and as i was moving i just cast my my jerkbait behind me and i'm just kind of jigging it as i'm moving and i get hit again and i'm like oh my gosh how big is this one and it was about 25 and a half um that was the only one of the three that i didn't even get a picture of because i, I set it on my board and it just went crazy and flopped right back in the water and I didn't even care, man. I was so stoked hmm. about about it, uh, and it just blew my mind. That's and amazing, man. So that that was so all in I, one night. All in one night, within about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. So shattered um, PB times three, one night. That's that's motivation if there's any of them uh, to keep the pursuit going, right? To to get even better. I mean, how inspiring dude, is that? It, it lit a fire that I yeah, didn't know right. was there. It's, the, yeah, the rest of the night I didn't catch anything. But you but didn't care. The next morning, yeah, I didn't care. The next morning, I was just like, "What the hell just happened?" 
And how can I do that again? <laughs> yeah. I hear you, man. I hear so, you, dude. It, so the funny thing is listening to you tell that story and, and listening to you tell it with some passion, man. And, and obviously I can, I'm not even remotely close to you, dude. You're in Florida. I'm in Texas. I can probably picture you almost like a PTSD guy uh, that I've seen. And that's just that kind of glare off into some place where you're reliving that in your brain uh, about that experience, man, that night and how joyful you, you know, you, you were and how elated you were. The the other things that you kind of mentioned that I want to take a second to highlight. The first was, well, one that I just, uh, I just kind of touched on was your overall excitement for catching the fish, which is something that we can't necessarily transcend to people until you actually do it, man. Once you catch a big fish and you release that fish or, or just catch a big fish in general, the, yeah, the, the passion, the fire that it's lit in, uh, that it's lit in you now to do it again is it's indescribable. The second was the fact that, Hey, I wanted to take care of this fish. I want to release it. That's why we're boys, man. That's why you started following Speckled Truth. And, and that's why we've become so, and, and we share the same vision, right? Because it, it meant more to you to release the fish than to actually get a picture. Most people would have probably killed that fish to get a picture at the dock or whatever it is. And, and so you made the cog- conscious decision to go ahead and release the fish out of safeguard and probably respect for the fish itself. And, it, dude, and like, actually I'm writing notes, like as you were talking, that's why I'm able to <laughs> kind of go through this. I think pretty, pretty straightforward, but the last dude is, and this is something that's really cool because before you even started telling the story, you freaking recited the date without hesitation. You knew what date that was. And so when you think about that for just a second, uh, and I'm talking about like, just think about what you said in terms of just repeating a date that quickly, that shows how special that fish is and how special that pursuit or that day is. And that's just something you don't get with, you know, Uh, I don't want to say dink trout, but just smaller trout. And that's what's great, again, about our community is because we share that similar passion and vision and experience, man, of just being able to, when, when called upon, here's the date of this day because it was so amazing. For me, easy. April 19th, 2013. That's the day I caught my 11 pounder. Never forget it. Never forget it. Wow. I can tell you everything five days, about that day. Five days before mine <laughs> or for my epic yeah, day. No, it's, it, dude, it's crazy. It's crazy because I, I can list it without hesitation, man. It's just amazing fish and obviously it leaves this indelible mark in your life. So anyway, I, yes. that's cool, man, that you were able to share that. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, that night really set things into motion for me. I mean, it was truly a stroke of luck. Because at that point, I did not know anything about targeting big, big trout. But the the things that I did following that night, I kid you not, I went back and made a log of every trout that I could recall or that I had pictures of over 20 inches. And I recorded like the date, the approximate location as best as I could recall, and the tide conditions. And then I and I just recorded that because I thought if I can target 20 inch fish and get on to big ones like that, then I, there's got to be a way that I can target those really big ones. Uh, because like I said, I was just fishing for 20 inch fish for points for an online tournament. 
And then just boom, that happened and changed everything. And that's something that goes back to KJ's discussion. Honestly, really everyone's discussion. My dad talked about it briefly. Mike and really Mike talked a lot about it. Jay, not so much, but he did talk a little bit about it. But KJ and Mike really talked about is, hey, man, if you're serious about targeting big fish, you got to chain, you got to start targeting big fish. Like you, you have to like actually physically change your thought process to wanting to target big fish. Yeah, you do. You you can't just go out there and go, and I hate to say it like this, you can't just go fishing and expect to catch them. You you might get lucky like I had that one, you know, one time. And I'm sure Lux had, to, had a lot to do with a lot of my big trout. But I think also learning these nuances and how to target them specifically has really been the biggest key factor. Hey everyone, I'd like to take a small break to sincerely thank our podcast sponsors. As you know, we're a brand about sharing the passion and pursuit of trophy speckled trout, as well as our conservation. Fortunately for us, Mirror Lore, Texas Custom Lures, and the original Custom Corky support that same passion, which is evident through the support of this podcast. Simply put, without these brands, none of this would be possible. And we're incredibly appreciative, and we hope you are too. Now, let's get back to the discussion. Well, thanks for sharing that, brother. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we share a lot of uh, a lot of those similar concepts with regards to targeting those big fish, especially mindset, man. Mindset is so huge. But um, I want to ask another question, though. So you being a kayak guy, again, a lot of our followers being kayak uh, fishermen as well, kayak anglers really across the various estuaries and states. But in, in your professional opinion, in your opinion of somebody who's targeted big trout out of a kayak, what are what are really some must-haves uh, for kayak anglers while targeting big fish? Without a doubt, I have a number one must-have is a good net. Uh, if it, it needs to be something that you can scoop down deep into the water and uh, and really get up underneath these big fish, and I prefer nets with bigger holes that way. And, and also the, the non-buoyant nets, the, the, like the wade nets that float are awesome and all. But when you're kayak fishing, you know, the, most of the big trout that I lose when it happens is right beside the kayak. Their heads are shaking. They're going crazy. And then you're just trying to scoop them up with a fish grip or in your hands. But if you get a net that's got a big opening and large mesh, that way, when you stick it down in the water, there's not as much resistance as you're pulling this up underneath the fish. And that is the number one. When we tournament redfish for a lot of the years, my bud Brandon and I, that was something we invested a lot in, actually, believe it or not. It was like a $70 fray bill net, telescoping. Uh, obviously, had the quick stowaway option, but on the same token as if you needed that long reach, you could get it. But it was good quality material, good quality net. And uh, another thing too, and that's, it's interesting you mentioned that because in term, that's the one thing I've added to my setup this year, unlike years and years and years past, is an actual landing net. And the reason I did that is talking with CCA and talking with folks about fish care. And as a wade fisherman, 
I predominantly use the bogey grip or, you know, I landed the fish and then I use the bogey grip and I would handle that fish. And so what I've tried to, and, and after talking with them, really the best thing you can do is after you land the fish in a net, just kind of let the fish sit in the water in the net. Yeah. And what the net that I have actually, it works perfectly. Um, I can scoop the fish up and I never even have to lift the fish out of the water. Um, I'm able to take the handle. It just, it just so happens that the kayak was designed perfectly and I can rest the handle on top of the side of my kayak and underneath the seat. So it's like a per, just a perfect way that it holds it in there. And then at that point, I'm hands-free and I know that fish isn't going anywhere. So I can, I can grab my fish grip or whatever. And, and that allows me to take control of the fish's head so I can, you know, easily remove the hooks out of his mouth without getting hand, my hands all over it. Um, and, and it really just allows me to make sure that that fish is in there. If I am getting a picture, you know, I can make sure that my buddy is, Hey man, come over here real quick. I, I've got the fish in the water, but when you get here, I'm going to pull it up, you know, get a quick picture. And then, but when it comes out of the water the first time, that's going to be the last time. I don't have to pull it out, unhook it, put it back in the water on a, on a boga or fish grip and hang on to it. It's just, it's right there. Um, so that's, that's the number one thing. I mean, I, if I had invested in a good net earlier, I probably wouldn't have lost some of the, uh, the fish that I have lost. Um, but it, you know, it's a learning curve. Yeah. And for me as kind of be born again, going back to the minimalist attitude, I've always, and it's kind of maybe stupid to even say to some extent, but I felt like that was part of it. The experience was landing it by hand. And so, you know, that's something that I've been taught by my pops and it's kind of the conscious decision that I've made is that that's part of the experience. If I can wear that fish out and then grab her behind the head and then land that fish with my bare hands or whatever it is, Again, if, if she comes off, then I lose the fish and that's tip the cap, move on. But, you know, really as I've, as I've continued though, and talking again with some folks, uh, about, um, you know, fish care, cause that's one of the things we want to make sure is we're us taking care of fish and, and getting them back into the water properly and, and taking care of those really a landing net. And if you talk to all the biologists, that's really one of the ways to go, man. It's just now you can safely land the fish. It's not doing a whole bunch of damage because now the fish is shaking. You got your, you know, grips and your hands behind her head and you're doing damage to the gills or, you know, her spinal column and all that stuff. And so now, uh, but instead now you can, you know, land the fish, take your time, get your stuff together, get your gear kind of stowed away, take some hooks out, take a couple pictures, but put her back in there and then obviously let her go. And so, dude, that's, that's actually a really, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good piece of advice, man. One more addition to, to that is in, in my opinion, and I'm sure there's research, but in my opinion, the rubberized nets are even better, you know, for their, their health. Uh, I don't feel like they're as abrasive and they, they, um, they're just a little softer on the fish. So that's, that's definitely my, my number one must have, you know, with regards to the net material, you know, it being kind of that more rubberized, if, if you will, versus that old kind of plastic nylon. Yeah, of course. One, it's a nightmare for treble hooks. 
that nylon stuff. And then, you know, again, from a, a plastic net perspective, but one of the things that my pops, he's got one of those rubberized landing nets. And the thing is, it's not, it's not deep. It, so it, it just doesn't go deep. And so really, if you do have a big fish on, and since the net itself isn't as deep, it has a really good chance of that fish kind of flopping out. Now trouble hooks are caught in the actual net itself and now it kind of unhooks itself. And now you've lost that fish of a lifetime. So again, spare the money, get a good quality net. In my opinion, that's deep. That has a really big opening because when you do have that fish of a lifetime on, don't let it get those trouble hooks caught, you know, or any sort of hook caught in the actual net. And then, um, it shake off, man, because I've heard horror stories about people losing fish that exact same way. Yeah, it happens a lot. I mean, I've lost a lot of a lot of great fish, uh, both trout and the biggest flounder I've ever seen in my life. I lost because I didn't have a net period. And I got that heartbreak on video. <laughs> and oh, I yeah. wish that I'd had it because, yeah, I was trout fishing and I just, I forgot my net. And then I catch this behemoth of a flounder. I mean, things pushing 30 inches, I swear. It's, I got the whole thing on video. And, uh, but yeah, um, a net will save you a lot of heartache. I hear you, brother. Well, well good, man. So I, I want to shift gears because it was probably one of the more entertaining parts, maybe for me, man. And I, I love to hear y'all's perspective. And, and KJ brought it up when we were talking about it in our podcast. And it, it was so fun, dude. And it was a memory I'll never, ever forget. And that was the Biloxi Boat Show. The Boat Show. Oh, man. <laughs> what a what an experience and what a, what a great, fun memory. Dude, so when KJ and I were talking, he's like, dude, Keith's like that guy who just pops up out of nowhere, says something really quick, real quick, and then just leaves. And... <laughs> It was, it's so funny, man, because looking back, dude, you, I was so, honestly, I was so stressed out and so nervous about the whole situation because kind of putting it all on the line, you know, and, and, you know, Ed's always kind of the cool customer. Doesn't really say a whole heck of a lot. Keith is, uh, I'm sorry, Kyle's kind of more matter of fact and doesn't really have a tremendous amount of emotion. I'm this, this emotional wreck, uh, on the other side. And then you have you, man, who brings a lot of levity, a lot of humor, a lot of just, dude, everything's going to be all good, man. So that's our team. And it's funny because as he's talking about it from his perspective, he's seen it through a different lens than what I'm seeing it, which is yeah. just potentially this tragic nightmare, man, of a PR stunt of Speckled Truth blowing it for everybody. Oh, yeah. Well, the my, my whole... The entire drive from Pensacola, the the tragedy that I'm thinking of is 300 gallons worth of glass shattering and falling all over I-10. That was my freaking nightmare. So yeah, right. I met you in Pensacola driving from uh, Melbourne, or yeah, Melbourne for lack of better terms. Uh, so I met you in Pensacola. Hey brother, pull over. I got, I got the tank loaded in my truck. All right, man, I'll follow you because I was towing my boat and... I'm following you. And I remember the damn bump, man. It was crazy. I think we're in like Moss Point, Mississippi. And we're getting on that bridge that goes over Pascagoula River. And there was this huge bump that I don't think we either of us saw. And I swear that damn tank on a pallet in your truck is just bouncing. 
And I'm like, oh God. It, and it wasn't necessarily it shattering then, but knowing that we hit that bump and seeing the actual tank move in the back of your truck and then watching them fill you know, the tank up with water and watching a panes of glass bow out one little nick, man, which could have easily happened in any of that 80 mile drive, um, could have easily shattered that thing. And so thank God it didn't. But I, I remember seeing that thing bounce. I'm like, Oh my God. And then my bounce, my boat is bouncing all over creation. Cause I had the same bump, like Jesus. <laughs> Everything about that, that drive both to and from Biloxi was terrifying. I mean, when I, I picked up the tank, so that tank wouldn't have happened without Hillary. She worked at the EPA at the time in Pensacola and in their aquatic toxicology lab. So they just happened to have all sorts of fish tanks. And the other tanks they had, they just were way smaller and they just, they didn't have any like in between. So it was either like a, a 70 gallon tank or mm-hmm. this one really awkwardly shaped hundred gallon tank, which was like a square, but it was only like, 16 inches tall it was really oh, weird and then there's this 300 gallon monster and i'm like that one that's the one right there and the guy looked at me like are, are you crazy are you sure do you have <laughs> he's like for that do you, yeah like uh and he's like how, how are you gonna get it in your truck i was like do, do you have a forklift operator <laughs> i see a forklift over there <laughs> and the guy that was in charge he said well yeah i mean I can go and I can go into the shop and the maintenance shop and get the guy. So I don't know how I've convinced them. This is, I mean, this tank is owned by the feds. It's, it's a government owned tank and they're going to let me sign a slip of paper and they're going to put it in the bed of my truck and send me off for four days with it. And I'm just like, Oh my God. But even just leaving the, the, the EPA out there is on a very small Island. It's just, it's called the EPA yeah. Island and that's all it is out there. Uh, it's probably 10 acres or five, five acres probably. Um, but even on their road out of there, I am like freaking out. Like my pupils are huge looking in my rear view <laughs> yeah. at this tank. Like I drive over a piece of gravel and I'm like, is it going to, is it going to shatter? Like what's going on? I'm just so sketch. And then I get over the Bob Sykes bridge, leaving Pensacola beach. And that's a scary bridge too. And this every little turn, every little bump, I'm freaking out. I, I don't think I've ever driven as slowly uh, as I had, you know, the the time when I had that in the bat in the bed of the truck. But we did it, bro. We did it, man. And we, so we that was the amazing. Did, I mean, did honestly, did you ever think it was going to be, you know, as much of a hit as it was, or you know? It, Cause what? What were their names? And I I couldn't remember. One was Carrie, if I remember right. And who was who was? Yeah, Carrie and Tracy. Tracy, Tracy is a good friend of mine, and Carrie is her girlfriend, and they are the coolest chicks ever. And uh, Tracy, at the time, and she probably still does, was uh, the the head honcho for taking care of the fish at the Spanish Pro or Spanish Fort. Bass Pro Shops. Yeah, Bass I think Pro. also yeah. the Destin Bass Pro, um, along with a lot of other clients that she worked for. Um, she worked for a company out of Pensacola, and she had all sorts mm-hmm. of clients. And she and I had worked together at a different place previously. And I told her, "Hey, um, I don't know anything about keeping trout in a tank." And she said, 
well, I've never done trout, but I've done everything else. Uh, and actually, that wasn't what she said because she had, I think they had a couple trout at Bass Pro, if I'm not mistaken. But she was on board, dude. I, I said, she likes to party. So I said, Biloxi, she's like, I'm there. And then I told her what the deal was. And she oh, was like, sweet. yeah, we'll totally come. So crawfish so, yeah, nachos, baby. Cool. Oh, man. Yeah. Crawfish and nachos filling ever. station. Dude, honestly, now that that's like a tradition, that is the best, man. And and for those who uh, are kind of like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, so there's this place uh, called the <laughs> Old Biloxi Filling Station. That's kind of like where we hang out after the show's done. And we go, they have a great draft selection. We go drink a few beers. And then one of the things on their menu is called crawfish nachos. It's obviously a giant plate of nachos loaded to the brim with, you know, all your sour cream, your salsa, all this other stuff. And then what they do is they take boiled crawfish tails and they throw it all over it, throw a ton of cheese on it and some chives. And, oh my God, man, it'll feed an army. And thank God, because we actually kind of feel like we bring a little bit of an army. It's like our own, uh, you know, it's our crew, man, getting out there and kind of hanging out yeah. and, and chilling and talking and catching up. But the funny, we rolled up with a bossy, <laughs> the running joke, the running joke <laughs> is everybody gets stuff. <laughs> and then Keith gets nothing but a chip. <laughs> Dude, I, I would look for the most loaded nacho and I would put my hand on it and I'd pull this chip out and it would come out completely empty. And the chip above it was the one with everything on it. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. I don't, I didn't realize that eating nachos was as difficult as it is. They're my favorite food. Crawfish nachos. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But yeah it, if anybody is there at the Biloxi show this year, uh, and, and dude, honestly, man, after each day of the show, we, we go to old Biloxi filling station and get, get some crawfish nachos, hang out and, and do whatever. But, more than welcome to come and join us. It's really good conversation. Really good, man. I mean, what we bring like 15, 20 people that are kind of hanging out the show and coming to see us and folks that drive in and it's really, really fun, man. So honestly, you know, aside from actually talking to people about conservation, it's really the camaraderie, man, that we have throughout uh, our own network and let alone kind of that local area. So it's, it's awesome, man. Absolutely, it's a it's a, a an unreal experience. The whole whole boat show it's it's tiring, but it's a ball and hanging out with everybody, meeting all those awesome guys, and and just meeting and you know hanging out with folks for an entire weekend of just talking about fishing. And you're surrounded by boats, and you're surrounded by anglers. Uh, you know what better way? You know, to, is there a certain memory or dis? Yeah, is there a certain memory or dis? Is is there a certain memory or discussion that stands out to you that you've had with somebody who uh, came up to you at the booth or, you know, you got to meet in the booth or, or somebody out there? Um, not any in particular. Uh, I do remember a couple friends of mine, they had come all the way from uh, like Slidell. Uh, and I thought that was pretty cool. They, they were over there and we just happened to bump into each other. And I thought that was pretty neat. Um, now w- one of the, one of the things that stands out from the show really though, um, and it was during setup. Um, and I'm going to jump back to the filling the tank and all. Um, I just thought it was yeah. funny. We get the tank halfway filled up and you're like, all right, that's good. And Tracy looks at you and looks at us and she says, 
No, you've got three five-pound trout. You can't fill them in, you know, in 12 inches of water. We're filling this bad boy up. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I could tell you're freaking out. The whole and, – and you and Kyle covered it, how how everybody in the boat show stopped and was just watching this tank. Oh and I just I just remember you stopping halfway saying, all right, we're good. And then Tracy goes, no, nah, this isn't going to fly. Yeah. It, and it, and do we even had a leak, man, in one of the freaking valves on the side? And you had to go find some Teflon right. tape. You're like, I'll be right back. I'm going to get some Teflon tape. I'm like, dude, we got a freaking leak on the side of this damn thing. It's going to blow wide open here in like five seconds. And she's like, keep bringing the water. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, you want, you want me to manage this tank or not? And I'm like, go for it. Yeah. Go for it. It's, yep. it's your baby. So she did it. Those two. Amazing. Amazing. Dude. Such a fun time. I know, man. Well, we're close to time, brother. Um, as you know, you, you've heard the show. Uh, I always like to end it. And we've kind of talked a little bit more about fishing than we have in, in previous shows, but I still kind of want to stay true to it. And that is kind of asking some kind of quick fire things towards the end. Cause I think it's fun and, and I'm, I'm always interested to kind of see what you think. But um, anyway, let me ask a few. So favorite soft plastic. Jerk shad. Uh, not, I don't really have a specific brand. Uh, just a six inch jerk shad in any kind of natural six color. Inch. Six yep. inch. I like a little, little bit bigger. Okay. Cause I, I mean, I, well, I guess you're right. Cause I like the Z-Man's hard nose, um, when throwing a jerk shad, the Slayer ink, uh, that ha- that's about a five inch or a zoom, you know, or, or the Cajun lures, the new, uh, Zydeco shad. That's about a five inch. I think most of them are about five inches. So it's interesting. You like a little bit bigger profile. I'm now I'm thinking though, the one that I was throwing recently is, a, is a DOA. Uh, I want to say it was six inch. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've just got my numbers off. And it, but yeah, five or six inch jerk shad. You can't really go wrong. Any particular color? Um, really, uh, anything kind of natural color. Uh, for for the longest time, I was hard up on New Penny, and uh, that would be my number one. Okay. But these days, I'm um, I'm just throwing any kind of real natural color. I'm not one of the big sticklers for for lure color. Okay. All right, so um, spinning or bait casting? I can't throw a bait caster. Uh, I physically can't, so I gotta say spinning. What, dude? I've, I've tried. known you for this I've, long, I've, and I've never known that. <laughs> what? I think I even attempted to throw yours a, a time or two when we were in Texas, and I just I can't get the hang of it. I, for one, I reel with my left hand and and work, you know, work the rod with my right hand, and. Fair enough. I even bought a, I even bought a bait caster a while back that was a, a left-handed retrieve so that I could still work it. And I just just bird nested it con- constantly. And I just need to give it a try. I think to me, a bait caster would be like fly fishing. Like I, I need to just go fishing with just that. So I am forced to really get better with it. That's, that's what I did to myself to make myself decent at fly casting. I think I need to do that with a bait caster. I'm shaking my head in perpetual disgust right now. I'll have you note. Hey, man. <laughs> Nobody in Florida fishes bait casters. You know this. 
Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So, all right, uh, spinning spinning reels or spinning rods. What uh, any sort of brand preference that you have? Yeah, I'm a Shimano guy all day. Yeah, Shimano. Like, what's your favorite uh, spinning reel? Shimano Stratic. Um, yeah, I've got I've got four or five Stratics, but I've actually been most impressed with the Nasi. I've got the Nasi three thousand. Dude, I've, that thing is a beast. It truly is. I mean, it's. It's so smooth. It's like butter. It's smoother than any of my Stratics, it, and it's and half the cost. It's so money, man. That thing is a that thing is a little tank. Uh, that's all I can say, man. I you know I, I don't throw spinning reels a whole lot. I've thrown them more lately than I have ever in my life, uh, mainly because I've really started to develop just a tremendous amount of confidence in throwing lip jerk baits. And adding that to my arsenal. And so I use um, spinning rods actually solely for that reason. And so I've been investing a little more in my equipment there. But now I have a, a couple of Stratics like yourself. Um, but kind of the bridge, the gap was at Shimano Nasi. And I find myself going back to that thing, man, because it's a beast. I mean, that thing is an absolute beast. It it's gets salt crust all over it from fishing the Laguna Madre and wipe it off, throw a little, you know, T9 bow shield on there and, and it's good as gold, man. And so, uh, it's a little beast, man. That's cool. What about rod? Um, I, I really love bull bay rods, uh, those and St. Croix. Okay. Interesting. I'm, yeah. Most of my, basically right now, my, my setups are all my bull bay rods are first. And then when I have, when I need to spare, I'm, I'm rough on gear, man. Really rough on gear. So if I if I pop an insert out on a on a guide or something or uh, or or anything, or if I snap a rod or something and and I want to go, you know, grab one of my backup rods, I'll just grab one of my Saint Croix's. And then when I get my Bull Bay, that they have a great warranty. When I get a new one, when I get a replacement, I just put the Saint Croix back in the corner until I need it. And I, I've always loved them, but the Bull Bays are are pretty money. What what length? I like seven six. Seven, seven foot six. and seven okay. six. Seven six. I've never thrown a seven six, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, I think the biggest I have is a seven two. Um and I like it. I like the castability of it. Um I so I got so accustomed to throwing the longer rods uh from kayak fishing because if I if I was using like a six six or a six foot, sometimes when I had if I was fighting a fish to the right side of the kayak and then he bolts under under me. I would have to lean way far forward to get my rod tip and the line to around the nose of the kayak. So I started using the longer rod, so I didn't really have to lean as far forward. And it was a little bit easier to control that fish and to not get my line caught up on the bow of my kayak and throwing the handle on it or anything silly like that. All of those things happen kayak fishing. That's cool, man. That makes sense. All right, last question. Uh, favorite technique to throw? Uh, what would it be? Gotta say topwater. Um, okay. It's situational and, and I do, I mean, it's definitely my favorite to throw, although I don't throw it as often as I throw a lot of other stuff, but there's nothing, uh, nothing better than just a big giant trout blowing up on a topwater. That's cool, man. Yeah. Um, topwater, obviously, as you've seen throughout the data, man, has been a pretty consistent producer across the various estuaries, particularly, you know, obviously in the fall and spring, but you also seen a little bit more prominence, I think in the wintertime too, especially here in Texas. Um, so that's cool, man. Well, brother, 
Um, thank you for one man. Thanks for being my friend, bro. I really do. You know, I didn't realize and maybe didn't understand that, you know, what, five or six years ago now, when we met, I'd be able to consider and call you friend just from, uh, you know, somebody who would sacrificially just from catching a fish by right yeah it's kind of weird man but it's uh it's been awesome dude and although we haven't necessarily fished and hung out personally just this you know years and years of life uh the times that we do hang out man and the times we do get a chance to like physically be present with each other it's definitely uh something uh that i cherish dude so i appreciate it bro and and all your support and obviously all your hard work that you know you've done um, and again, that we've done collectively to continue to do what we've been doing, man. So, um, it's important for you to come on a podcast and be, you know, an episode to yourself because you you are so, such a figure in speckled truth. And I want people to know that. So thanks again, brother. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for the opportunity, man. And I mean, Thank you for starting the speckled truth. I mean, I, and I think I speak on behalf of thousands of people for that, uh, because with you know, without your brainchild here, you know, we'd all be you know in just the inshore groups, you know, scratching our heads and trying to trying to figure things out on our own. And you've created a platform, and and we built it up from you know your small little idea into something that's so tremendous. And I'm excited about everything you know looking forward to the growth looking forward to seeing where we're gonna go uh in the next five years hey buddy well let's do it my man so i appreciate it again bro uh have a great uh, really a, a good night man and and obviously i'll stay in touch with you as we start to kind of develop at it and produce this thing before we go final but i can't say thanks enough bud i cannot say thanks enough man Again, none of this happens without the support of our sponsors from Mirror Lore, Texas Custom Lures, and the original Custom Corky. Without your support, none of this is, a, is possible. So thanks again to them. We hope to see you next time here at the Speckle Truth Podcast. And we always want to leave you with this one tidbit. Always remember to take what you need and release the rest. God bless. You.